Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Second Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read the whole chapter. If you have one of the church Bibles, that can be found uh, on page 1018, 1018. And if you have one of the large prints, uh, that'll be 1207. Just before uh, I read, uh, let me thank you so much again uh, for the real privilege that it's been uh, to be with you. Uh, Having been away for three years, it feels uh, very funny to have been here last Sunday saying, hello, it's wonderful to be back, and this Sunday to be saying, goodbye, I'm so sorry that that we're away. Um, Lord willing, I will fly back to Charlotte in North Carolina uh, on Wednesday, Um, but Lord willing, uh, we won't uh, have as long a gap next time from coming uh, back to you as we did uh, these past three years. So thank you uh, for having me. It's been great to be here. I will be here this evening. And, and just to express once again uh, our thanks for all your uh, support and prayers and love. We would not be doing what we're doing. Uh, I would not be studying uh, where I am, what we're doing without the support and prayers of this church family. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. Second Peter uh, chapter 2. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. 
They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, and they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These, these false teachers, they are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions the flesh of those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Amen. <clears throat> Please be seated and have uh, 2 Peter, chapter 2, back open in front of you. And as we turn there, and let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, we do pray now that you would speak to us by your spirit as we come to your word. Where our ears are blocked, would you unblock them? Where our eyes have scales over them, would you remove them? Where our hearts are hard, would you soften them? We need to see, we long to hear Christ speak to us this morning. Speak, O Lord, that we would behold you and worship you, Lord Jesus, our great prophet, priest, and king. Be with us now. Speak to us, we pray. In your precious name, amen. This morning, all I want to do, all that Peter does for us here in this passage is draw us a picture. All I want to do for you this morning is to draw you a picture. Now, I don't mean that I'm all of a sudden going to wheel out a chalkboard or a, uh, I sound very old saying chalkboard, a whiteboard or whatever and and do it with paper and pen or up on a board. No, with, with words, but all Peter does for us this morning is draws a series of pictures. And he's got one aim in doing so. What he wants to do in this chapter is to expose the character and the fate of these false teachers, to expose the ugliness of them, the folly of them, the sinful character of them, and and the fate, the judgment that is going to befall them. He wants to draw us a picture. He does draw us a picture to show us that. Perhaps another way to put it this morning is that, that Peter takes us to an art gallery. He takes us to a portrait gallery, and he wants to show us a series of pictures. And what he wants us to do is, in showing us these pictures, is that we would see the character, the ugly, sinful character. 
the, the fate, the judgment that's going to befall these false teachers, and we would flee from them and run to the beauty of Christ our Savior. Peter is writing to encourage Christians in this letter who are hearing lots of false teaching. Not in this church. This church is going well. These churches are going well. But, but in the podcasts, on the Twitter feeds, on the Facebook pages, on the church websites, on the YouTube channels of the churches all around them, they're, they're hearing false teaching that says Jesus isn't coming back. And that's chapter 3, verse Four. We'll look at that a little more tonight. We spoke about it last week, but that's chapter 3, verse 4. There's scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Things were the same yesterday. Things are the same today. They will be tomorrow. They're saying Jesus isn't coming. And Peter writes to say, no, Jesus is coming. And today, in chapter 2, what he does is he turns his sights on those who say otherwise. Those false teachers, the errant teachers, he turns his sights on them. And he wants to expose their character so that these Christians, so that us, we would flee from that and reject it and turn to Christ. I remember uh, an advert growing up on TV I was maybe, I don't know, 12 or 13 at the time. And I remember this advert very vividly. It was put on by the Health Education Board of Scotland, HEBS. They had lots of adverts at at that point. I don't even know if they still exist. But this advert um, came on and there was an older teenage boy on the screen. And and near the beginning, it was a split screen. So here on the TV, you've got two kind of things running, but it's the same events are happening. And as this boy is, is living on this advert, It's probably going to take me longer to explain it than the actual advert did to run. But anyway, on this advert, as it was running, this boy is offered illegal drugs. And in one half of it, it shows what happens when he says no. And and it shows his life go on and flourish. He gets a, a girlfriend. He's got good friends, social job, all that stuff he does well at school. But on the other half, it shows what happens when he said yes. And he takes the illegal drugs and it shows his life just spiral as he turns into a ghost of himself and it just exposed the ugliness of it and that is what peter does here for us with the false teachers he wants to expose how ugly it is that in seeing it that in hearing it that being aware of it we would say no i do not want anything to do with that and that we would see uh, the beauty and glory of christ as we listen to him on his word. Now, now, as we read it and as we go through it, you're going to see here that the mood, the tone of Peter is strong. It's, it's severe. It's a really wicked thing to speak to God's sheep, who is people, and to show them something that's contrary to God's word. Remember, as Christians, we're listening people. There's always going to be teachers. And, and last Sunday evening, at the end of chapter one, we saw Peter say, listen to the Bible, listen to the scriptures, listen to the testimony of the apostles and eyewitnesses. And what he wants to do here in this portrait gallery is he shows us a picture of the character of these false teachers. He wants us to reject it, to not listen to it. No, listen to the word, not these false teachers. And so all we're going to do this morning is just walk through those two things. I want to show you, as Peter has here for us, the character of these false teachers, and also the fate of them. Those are our two points. Those are our two 
those are our two things as we go through it. But, but I do want to just underline for us here, as Peter's writing about the character of these false teachers, he is speaking about people, okay, who are, are writing, who are preaching, who, who are going to be standing in positions like I am here, okay? He, he, he isn't, or to make it clear, he's not writing about Christians that are curious, people in our youth groups or students or, or new believers who are, who are wrestling with things of the faith, genuinely wanting to grow and learn. That's not who he turns his sights on. No, his sights are more on people that would stand here in this kind of a position and say, this is what the Bible says. And so he wants to expose the error where people would say those things, but they are against God's word. So, what is the characteristics or the character of these false teachers? Peter takes us into this art gallery, into this portrait gallery, and up on the wall, he draws for us, he points out to us, I, I think, six things. We group a few together, but six characteristics of the false teachers. We're going to run through them and then think, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? But as we go, I just want us to think, look how ugly this is. Look how contrary to God's word uh, uh, what they're doing uh, is. So six things. The first thing Peter says then in chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 1, uh, and the other point to chapter 2, is that they're hard to spot. Did you see that? False prophets rose among the people, and there will be false teachers among you who secretly, did you see that word there? It, it, it's secret what they're doing. They're, they're hard to spot. They, they deny the master that brought them. If you look at chapter 2, verse uh, 2, verse 20, they, they have some knowledge of Jesus, something in their heads that's not in their heart. So outwardly, they, they look like Christians, but inwardly, they do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They are wolves who are dressed up as sheep, and they sound like sheep sometimes, and that makes them hard to spot. They're hypocrites, mask wearers. And we all know how ugly, how painful something like that is. Think about how painful it is when someone discovers their spouse is having an affair. I, I thought I knew you. I thought I trusted you, but you've been living this double life, this duplicitous life. It's awful. I, I thought you were my best friend, but behind my back, you've been putting me down. There's deception here. It's painful and destructive. Wolves are hard to spot among the sheep because they dress and sound like sheep. And so he writes this not to make us hyper-skeptical of everything, but to keep us discerning, to be aware that they will be there. Where, where we live in North Carolina, the mountains that are close to us, there's bears. And um, when I spoke to my son this past week, I did a little bit of walking out at Loch Nagar. The first thing my eldest son said is, Dad, did you see any bears? said, no, there's no bears here, thankfully. There's no bears. But when you go walking out in North Carolina or in the, the, the mountains near us where there are bears, it's the first thing you talk about. You've got to be careful. There's bears. You've got to make sure that they can't smell the food or they'll come for it. You leave some food in your tent, they will come for it. So you prepare, you take caution. It's not to make you scared. It's not to say don't go, but it's to say, right, as we're on this trail, we're going to be careful. They're, they're there. There's danger. And that's what the first thing that Peter needs to say to them. It's secret. There's danger, but you need to be aware. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, as he looks at this portrait, the second thing is he, he points at their mouths. He said, look, you can spot a false teacher by their mouth. In verse at one there, what does it say? Just scan your eyes down. They deny the master that bought them. Verse 2, it says they teach heresies. 
if you look over uh, there to verse 10, verse 10, it says, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. If you look at verse uh, 15 and 16, particularly verse 15, it says, the speechless donkey of Balaam knows better than them. We'll speak a little bit more about Balaam in a moment, but remember Balaam back in Numbers 22 to 24, a false prophet of God. He looked the part, but he wasn't the part. And as he's on the road, the angels before him, he can't see it, but his donkey starts speaking. And it exposes how foolish Balaam is. And what Peter is saying here is, look, Balaam's donkey speaks better than you. Your animal speaks better than you. Imagine sitting around at lunch today and someone says, all that you've just shared over lunch, the cat, the cat's making more sense than what you said. The dog, right? That's what he's saying. These false prophets, their mouths, they're speaking nonsense. In some, these people can be spotted because when uh, the Bible says something, they contradict it. They deny the master that's bought them. They contradict it. Chapter 3, 17, it says they twist. 16 and 17, they twist the scriptures. You spot a false teacher by his mouth because they twist the scriptures. So these are people that say, I know the Bible says X, but we know better today. Science has shown us. Experience has shown us. All these things have shown us what people really want. They say things like, I know that for 2,000 years the church has taught why, but we are so much more enlightened now in the 21st century. So we can go off and live this way. These are people who say things like this. Jesus does not talk about Zed. He doesn't talk about these things, so we're all good to go on and do this. Hearing those kinds of phrases should send alarm bells going. Beware false teachers with their mouths. That's what Peter's saying. They twist the scriptures and set themselves up against God's word. The third thing in this portrait is that Peter looks at their eyes. He says, look at their eyes. Look at chapter 2, 14. Chapter 14, they have eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of adultery. In uh, chapter 2, verse 2 as well, he says, many will follow their sensuality. Last Sunday night, we saw the apostles. The apostles saw Jesus and they fell down in worship, but oh, a false teacher. Spot a false teacher with their eyes. Eyes that chase sin, look for sin. They have eyes like the man who's sitting with his wife over dinner, but spends the evening looking just over her shoulder at the lady sitting behind. Now, as he speaks of adultery here, it can speak of sexual sin. We've seen that all over, especially verse 10. Look at verse 10. Those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion, these false teachers are pursuing sexual sin. And the false teachers are so unembarrassed about it, they revel about it in the daytime. Verses sort of 10, 11, 12, 13, through the day, they, they have no shame about their sexual sin as they live out these lives. They're so unembarrassed. They just get on living lives contrary to what the Bible says. So spot, spot a false teacher in his eyes, in his eyes, as he chases and teaches that sexual sin against God's word, and they say that it's okay. Very briefly, as we move on, look at verse, at verse 12 there. Look at their minds. Peter shows us their minds. He says they, they blaspheme about matters of which they're ignorant they're ignorant. In their minds, they don't know what they're talking about. As you speak to them, you get a sense you do not know what you're talking about. 
Also, number five, we'll keep moving fast. In this painting, Peter shows us their hearts. Look at verse 14. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls, and they have hearts trained in greed. Hearts trained in greed. They're out for wrongful financial gain. And finally, number six, number six, verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They've walked off the path. And this is where uh, Peter then comes to Balaam. He comes to Balaam and says, next to our portrait of a false teacher, look, there's the picture of Balaam. Do you see Balaam there? He is the epitome of a false teacher, of a false prophet in the Old Testament. He led God's people into uh, into adultery, into idolatry, into sexual sin, and he himself was greedy, out for wrongful gain. That is a portrait of our false teacher, all about me. We've seen their hearts, their mouths, their legs, their minds full of sin, everything twisting contrary to God's word. And so before we think, what do we do with all this? Just look how Peter describes their behavior. He leaves us in no doubt it is the greatest of sins to, 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 in the name of Christ, lead people away from Christ. Look at his language, verse 12. He says, they're irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. Verse 13, he says, they're blots and blemishes. That is Old Testament sacrificial language, saying they're unfit for purpose. Verse 14, he says, they're accursed children. Verse 17, he says they're waterless springs. It's like arriving at a water fountain or a well in a desert and a hope for water and you start drinking and there's nothing there. Verse 18, he says they promise freedom, but they are enslaved. Where have we heard that before? People holding out, come and live this way. There's freedom, but it ends in slavery. Like the child catcher in uh, Snatcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I still have nightmares about that. You know, the, the candy, he's there and it all looks really nice and the kids go in the back and the sides all fall off and they're in prison, there's bars. That's what these people do. They, they promise life, but there's enslavement to sin. Verse 22, their sin is so ugly, it's like dogs returning to eat their own vomit or like pigs that have just been cleaned, rolling around in the mud again. It's ugly. It's an ugly picture of slavery, of death, of deceit, of sin, of pain, and of robbing people. And Peter has some of the strongest, strongest language for it here as he condemns it. And so, friends, what do we do with all that? We've looked at this portrait, and we've seen mouth and eyes and heart and minds and legs. What do we do with it all? Well, let me suggest three things. Number one, we pray for godly pastors. Pray for godly pastors. Pray the Lord would keep your pastors and elders close to himself and keep walking close to him, that they'd stay on his path. This past year, we've tried to read a bit of Pilgrim's Progress with our, with our kids on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and it strikes me how time and time again, as Christian and faithful, as they walk down the road, time and time again, people come to call them off it. Pray for godly pastors, for this church in our city, in our land, who would keep following Jesus with him before their eyes and in their hearts. Secondly, pray for protection. 
Pray the Lord would keep you from being enticed. Look at the verses here. Verse 2, many will follow in their sensuality. Verse 14, they entice unsteady souls. They're teaching and they want to bring people with them. So pray each day that the Lord would keep me from sin. Lord, keep me, protect me. Lord, help me just to hear your voice and to follow it. On uh, Thursday, uh, David Gibson, our, our minister here, he took me up at Loch Nagar. Uh, and at the top of Loch Nagar, uh, it was a typical Scottish day, uh, couldn't see a thing, could not see a thing. David turned around and said, look, one of the best views in Scotland, and, and, and here it is, couldn't see anything. David also told me that the last three or four times he was up, he hadn't seen anything. So if David says, let's climb Loch Nagar, find someone else, and you'll be able to see something. Right. We went up there, top, couldn't see a thing, right, at the very top. But David said, look, there's, there's some cairns at the top here. There's stones. There's markers. If we keep them to our right, we'll keep away from the cliff edge, and it'll help to bring us safely off the top. And when, when you can't see, when the fog is all around you, that the cloud is there, you're up in the clouds, that's what you do. You, you pay attention to what's going to keep you safe. I want to be safe. I don't want to wander off the edge of the cliff. And that is what we are to do with God's word. Pray for protection. Lord, when all of there's false teaching around me, when people would lead me astray, keep your word before me. Keep me away from sin and danger. Listen to what the Lord says. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, show me the cairns that keep me on the path that is before me as I follow you. Pray for godly pastors. Pray for protection. Third, know there is forgiveness if you've wandered. Now, as I said at the start, notice we're speaking of teachers here, but we can all ask ourselves this this morning. Where are my eyes looking? Where are my eyes looking this morning? Where do my eyes look the week, through the week? Even the eyes of my heart or with my actual eyes, with my senses, where do I look? What, what's in my heart? Where are my feet walking? What's in my mind? Christ calls you today to return if you've wandered. If you know that you've walked off the path looking at what you shouldn't, in our hearts, in our minds, doing what is sinful, the Lord says, come, come, return. Perhaps for the first time, or perhaps asking the Lord Jesus, come back, Lord, forgive me. Having been washed, we don't want to be like the sow there in verse 22, do we? Who rolls around again in the mire and the mud. Come back today. Know there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Jesus has open hands to you today. If we've strayed like these teachers here, come to him. Christ has open arms. For you see, we stand in this porch at Galilee with this ugly picture before us showing the folly and the sin of the false teachers. But the invitation is not just to run away from them. It is to come to the beauty of Christ. Think of the advert at the start, seeing the, the ugliness, the folly of, of taking, saying yes to those illegal drugs. It, it, all it does, it, it emphasizes even more the goodness of not. Hang the portrait side by side, you, you see the beauty. So let's think of this portrait and compare it to what we have with Christ. The, the false teachers bring in secret heresies and deceptions. But Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And as Peter writes in his first letter, there is no deceit in his mouth. With their mouths, the false teachers blaspheme God. But with his mouth, Christ said, not my will be done, but yours to his father. Their eyes are full of adultery. 
Christ's eyes looked at sinners and said, come and be washed clean. Christ's eyes were eyes that wept over Jerusalem, wept over Lazarus's tomb. Christ's eyes looked at the paralytic and said, rise. They looked at the one who was deaf and said, here. They looked at the prisoner and said, be set free. Their hearts are full of greed, but Christ's heart was the servant heart that came not to be served, but to serve. They had desires only to indulge passions of the flesh, but Christ desired that his flesh be scourged and broken for our salvation, that by his wounds we would be healed. They give in and welcome every temptation, twisting the word of God, but Christ resisted all temptation, standing firmly on the immutable word of God. They enticed unsteady souls. Christ said that a bruised reed he will not break, nor a smoldering wick will he snuff out. He says to the weary, come to me and I will give you rest. They are blots and blemishes, unfit to minister the, uh, minister the word. Christ is the perfect sacrifice for sin. The word made flesh for our salvation. They are waterless springs, making the thirsty even more parched. Christ says, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger or thirst again. For them, the utter gloom of darkness is reserved, but Christ is the light of the world offering out life to sinners. They are slaves of their corruption, but Christ offers freedom and a breaking of change. They say, lay down your life for my pleasure. Christ says, for the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. Friends, flee, flee the pleasures of sin, for they're ugly, passing away, and come to Christ your Savior. He is your righteousness. He is your good shepherd. He alone offers and holds out salvation today. So in our art gallery, Peter's taken us into the first room, if you you like, of this portrait gallery, and he's shown us the ugliness of the character of the false teachers. And now he takes us in to, to the next room. And this bit's in the middle of our passage here. And in this next room, there are three pictures hanging side by side, and they show us the fate of these false teachers We've seen their character, their fate's been hinted at, but right in the middle we see their fate from these three pictures. And their fate is judgment, judgment. Christ is coming and he will judge them for their sin. Do you see it right at the end of verse three? Look at it with me. At the end of verse three, the second half, Peter says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is is not asleep. There is judgment. And now in this portrait gallery, Peter shows three pictures. The first one, I won't read it again, but the first one there in verse four is we see judgment on angels. God condemned sinful uh, angels, cast them into hell. Verse five, we see God's judgment on the ancient world. That's our second picture. And verse six, we see the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah making them an example of what will happen to the ungodly. So there's these three pictures sit side by side and they tell one story. There will be judgment on false teachers, judgment on the unrighteous. We see it there as well in verse 9. God will keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Rather than running through all three of these, let's just focus on Noah the story from Genesis, it's probably most familiar to all of us. Do you remember there was sin in the world, said that God regretted 
making man, and so he's going to flood the earth. He's going to bring judgment. Last week, we, we spoke about Christ coming a little bit like a landlord, coming to see their property or their house or their building. And, and although judgment, nobody wants to hear it. It's not, you don't win popularity contests by saying God is coming to bring judgment. I, I think we do get it. Because if tenants wreck a property and the, the landlord shows up for an inspection, I think they get, they're unlikely to be asked to stay on another year. There are consequences for ignoring the lease, the contract. I think we get that. And there are consequences for ignoring God and his word, for ignoring his son. Let that be clear to us all. Jesus is coming. And when he does, there will be judgment. And on that day, God's wrath will fall. God's righteous wrath will fall on the ungodly and the unrighteous. But, but, did you notice that's not all that Peter says? As he shows us these three pictures, that's not all that he says. He says, but, as we look at this story of Noah, he says, there is an ark. There is an ark. Did you see that? This story is not one that leads us to despair. It leads us to hope. These three pictures show judgment on sin, but we see rescue for the righteous. God rescued Noah and the seven others who were in the boat with him. We see that in verse 5. And in verse 6, we read that God rescued righteous Lot. For just like God preserved Noah and the seven others in the ark, he will preserve all those who are in the ark, that is, Christ. He will preserve and rescue all those who are in Christ. Again, look at verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment till the day of judgment. Friends, are you in the ark that is, in, that is Christ? Are you in the ark? Are you in Christ? If not, today the invitation is open. The door to the ark stands open. And the only way is through Christ. Come to him. He is calling today. And if you are in Christ, then you are eternally safe on that day of judgment. You are eternally secure. That is what Peter holds out to this church family. It's what God holds out to us. We are secure. For the ark that is Christ surrounds you and you are safe inside his walls as the floodwaters held up the boat and Noah and his family were safe. So we are safe in Christ. You bear his righteousness now. You are washed by his blood. You are born again to new creation. And like God protected Noah and Lot, he will protect you. One of the most precious doctrines of the Bible, emphasized in the scriptures and, and by the Reformed faith over the years, is the preservation of the saints, or the perseverance of the saints. And that is, all that it says is that God, who God calls, he will never cast out. Those who God calls, he will never cast out. They will persevere. He will preserve you. Now, that doctrine through the years has been misused and abused, but it doesn't make it untrue. God does not cast out who he calls, and you are safe eternally inside Christ. 
And on that day of judgment, what will happen? The Westminster Confession says this, on that day of judgment, we will go into everlasting life. We will receive fullness of joy and a refreshing that will come from the presence of the Lord. Our great hope, our great hope today, our great hope every day, especially in trials and trials of our faith, is that in Christ we're safe. We are delivered, we're washed, we're clean, we're hid from him. We're hid in him when final judgment comes. And that is not only help for that day, but it's help for today. For I know that many of you, dear friends, stand alone in staff rooms, school playgrounds, soccer teams, orchestras. I did it again, football teams, orchestras. And and here we're reminded that God is faithful to us. He will keep us. He delivered Noah. He delivered Lot, and he will deliver you. So keep near to him. He has you. You are eternally, eternally safe in those hands. Hands which did not nail the wood of an ark together, but hands that were nailed to wood, to a cross for your salvation. Whenever we feel the heat and trials of life, Remember not only the example of these men, but remember the faithfulness of God. That is Peter's point. Remember the faithfulness of God. God will deliver you and keep you eternally safe with him forever. So we've seen some hard pictures, some hard truths in this art gallery this morning. Peter teaches us hard and sobering truths of shepherds who fail and of those who go after them but he does not leave us there. He does not leave us there. For even just now laid on this table before you is the meal, a table laid by your good shepherd. And that is where we finish this morning, with our eyes and hearts looking to Jesus, the true shepherd, the shepherd who seeks you today, the shepherd who put you on his shoulders and carried you back to the fold, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, the shepherd who lays a table for you in the midst of your enemies, the shepherd who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, cast your eyes and your hearts this morning to the good shepherd whose goodness will never, ever, ever fail you, both this day, on the day of judgment, and into all eternity, forever. Amen.